Good evening, everybody. <laughs> hey, happy fall. How many of you are back in school? No, no, I feel stupid now. Like, legitimately? Okay, my bad. Well, hey, happy fall anyway. You guys doing okay? Yeah? Good? Good? Um, awesome. Hey, if you are here for the very first time, I just want to say personally, welcome home. Uh, this is a place where you are welcome. This is a place that is judgment-free, judgment-free zone. Like, I think Planet Fitness is like that, right? Um, <laughs> this is a judgment-free, this is a mercy uh, merciful room. This is a mercy place, and we're so happy you're here. And um, my name is Jesse. I have the honor and privilege of working with um, four of the most incredible people who, for the last uh, couple of months, have ran young adults. And um, I just want to thank them sincerely from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much to Doug, to Charlotte, to Connor, and to Whitney. I love you guys. Um, yeah, I'll go to battle with you all day, every day. So um, for those of you who weren't here for the summer, they destroyed... Um, they destroyed in their incredible leaders, and I'll work for you. I'll work for you someday. So um, we are in a series called State of Hope, State of Hope. And there are series that we do here at Young Adults because we're like, oh, man, we want to get froggy and we want to have some fun. We're going to do a relationship series, which we will do eventually um, here in the next couple of months. But we want to, we, you know, we think about that stuff. We think about, well, this is pertaining to this group of individuals, and so we want to preach about this, you know, and, and we'll, think, we'll think that's why we're going to do a series. And then there are series sometimes where they can't be avoided um, because uh, we try to get around it because we don't want to talk about it, quite frankly, and it's uncomfortable. Um, but this, the state of the world, um, it leads us to a place where we have to talk about this, and it's not just something that affects this group of young adults, but it's something that's affecting the church at large, and we need to talk about it. And so Doug started this series last week, um, this series called State of Hope. If you did not listen to it, it was incredible, and you need to go back and listen to it. Um, and tonight, what I want to talk about is the reality that um, to have a state of hope, it, like if we were to be honest, like if the president were to be honest and give a state of the union and just be honest about it, um, that, um, you know, instead of being like, our numbers are up and business is good, you know, instead of like that, um, if we were to be honest, it, we would say that we are in somewhat of a state of chaos, that we are in a state of maybe fear, that there is, there is a state of terrorism, that there is a state of um, division, political division, of racial division and divide, and um, that we are in this space right now. Um, in America that is not necessarily a state of hope. And part of it has to do, like Doug said, with uh, the news and them feeding us like fear because that's what they do. It makes money. Uh, but part of it is real. And any 20-something in here can feel it. You know it. And you're young and you're thinking to myself, my goodness, I'm 18 years old. I shouldn't really be thinking about things like this. And yet, you have to, don't you? And um, for those of you who... Um, for a long time, maybe felt like the fear was out there and the terrorism was out there. More recently, it has felt as though it's come into our peripheral. Um, see, because it used to be it was just in Turkey and Middle East and Syria. And all of a sudden, in um, the early months of this year, Paris was bombed and took over 120 lives. And at that moment, all of a sudden, America took a deep breath in because it was so close. 
and then there was San Bernardino, and then there was the attacks in Orlando, and then there was um, all of a sudden Target said, hey, it's cool, and we're going to have transgenders in our bathroom, and whichever bathroom they feel most led to and uh, most comfortable in. And then after that, Texas was struck down because they wanted to put an age limit on abortion, and uh, the Supreme Court said no. And all of a sudden, there's, there's these things that were out here, and, and, but they seem to be just getting closer and closer and closer, not only that, but 2015, so last year was considered uh, by the people that are actually studying church persecution and Christian persecution, last year was considered the largest um, and uh, most like um, fruitful year <laughs> for Christian persecution. In fact, uh, David Curry, the president of Open Doors, and Open Doors is an organization ju that just studies uh, Christian persecution, said this, this level of exclusion, discrimination, and violence against Christians in some countries has risen to a level akin to ethnic cleansing. In 2015, over 7,000 Christians uh, were killed, which was the largest number in modern history to have been uh, killed. And... Uh, only, only to be runner-up was uh, 2014, so the year before. And so there are anxieties in the world right now that are so real. And we would be remiss to not talk about it. And the reality is, is that consequently, as a 20-something, you are going to be forced to deal with this. You are going to be forced to deal with the fears, to deal with the anxieties, to deal with the realities. You can close your eyes for a little while. And then at one point, the fight will come to you. And so the reality is, is that if you are in here and you call yourself a Christian, so if you're not, if you're in here and you're like, I'm just checking it out, I, I, I don't know. Um, but if you're in here and you call yourself a Christian and a Christ follower, we believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. I believe that Jesus is, is truly, he's the hope of the world. And if that's true, then how in the world do we get the hope of the world accessible to the world. Because right now, this state of the world is not a state of hope, necessarily. It's more a state of something else. And so how in the world do we get the hope of the world accessible to the world? And what I want to propose tonight is that it happens, very simply, by Christians being Christians. That it happens by Christians being Christians. And I've taken some notes from Doug Weckenman tonight. So, Dougie, thank you for giving me some notes. And also Andy Stanley. And so, thank you, Andy. If you're watching me online, Andy, <laughs> yes. You can come to our Red Conference. Um, how in the world do we make the hope of the world accessible to the world? And it's by Christians being Christians. John, when he is writing to the churches at large, and John has been banished to the island of Patmos, Patmos when he writes this letter, um, he, says, he says, in this world, you know, um, there are going to be, and he, and he actually says the spirit of the Antichrist, but he says there's going to be some trouble. There's going to be things that you're experiencing. And he says the spirit of the Antichrist, and then he says this, which is already in the world. So we're waiting for the Antichrist to come, but actually he says the spirit's already here, um, that there's already some evil at at large. And then he says this, he says, but you dear children, isn't that beautiful? Because he's our dad. You dear children are from God and have overcome them. Have overcome what? You have overcome terrorists. You have overcome fear. You have overcome Republicans. You have overcome liberals. You have overcome political division. You have overcome racism. You have overcome hate. You have overcome them. Because the one 
who is in Red Rocks Church. No, wait a second. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And so I titled tonight, The Hope of the World. The Hope of the World. And so turn to your neighbor and say, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. Let's pray. (laughs) Lord, we thank you for tonight. Um, This stage, this place is yours. We will be grateful if you will just speak to us as Christians tonight. We're a family. Convict us in the way that you need to convict us. Give us mercy in the areas we need mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we have a bunch of 80s and 90s babies in here, right? If you're a 70s baby, you're on the cusp, okay? So you're on the cusp. You may feel young, but um, I'm kidding. Um, no, seriously, we have, we have other church stuff for that. Um, but in the, in the early 90s, there was like this season where, the, where movies, like disa- natural disaster movies, became very cool, okay? And you guys were probably just kiddos then, but I remember this because I was a little bit older. And so I remember, like, in the early 90s, there were all these sets of movies. Um, Like, the most recent one um, came out in 2012, and it was the movie 2012, right? And it's, like, where the Mayan calendar predicted the end of the world, and it it happened, right? And John Cusack saves the day in a limo, and it's amazing if you haven't seen it. And But in the 90s, there was this slew of movies that came out and it was actually kind of hysterical now because they get, they were all so very popular that they just kept making them. They're like the, people keep buying these movies and so we'll just keep making them. And so um, so like the first one was Twister, right? And um, and and it's awesome. Doug told me this week, he goes, Jess, I can quote that whole movie. <laughs> and, um, and I loved Twister. It was so incredible. Uh, a movie came out of, after that called Volcano um, and, and the that was a. <laughs> That's so stupid. We bought tickets, guys. I bought a ticket, I'm pretty sure, to see that. Um, Dante's Peak was uh, the one that came out. I mean, it was the same movie. And, but it came out, I think, like a year apart. Um, and, uh, and then get this there was a movie called Hard Rain. Like, like in a world where it rains a lot. Like,. You're like, I don't understand. And, um, and there's, and literally, like, this is the cheesiest, like, I, I didn't see this movie, but I saw this picture from the movie, and, like, what's happening? <laughs> like, they have guns? I don't know. So, um, and then there was the all-time favorite Armageddon, right? <laughs> Where a meteor is bound for Earth, and they have to put nukes, they have to drill down, and only Bruce Willis, who is, you know, an oil, uh, dude, engineer, and he's got to drill a hole and blow it up, you know, and so, and, and then there was the knockoff of that movie, and this is the one I want to talk about called Deep Impact. Yeah, Hope Survives. Okay, so 
So um, I went and saw this movie. My mom dropped me off with my girlfriends. I go and see this movie, and, and um, it's the end of the world. I mean, it really is. This movie is about essentially the end of humanity, the end of hu the human race. The girl who breaks the story is this, is this character named Jenny. And Jenny ends up meeting a scientist who discovers that this, this meteor that's heading directly uh, towards Earth. And so she's the one. She's a reporter, and she breaks the story. And so in the movie, she gains access to all of these dis different things. One of the things that she gains access to because of her recent popularity is um, where they are going, the, the place that they have, and I hope the government has this, the place that they have that they're going to hide everyone at the end of the world to make sure that the human race survives. And so she has access to this, right? She's one of the very few, like the president and like his kids and like Jenny, right? And so... <laughs> And so she's supposed to take this helicopter to get to this, you know, compound in the mountains. And what Jenny does at the end of the movie is um, she instead is she um, she goes and to reconcile with her dad, and um, she meets him on the beach, and she and she apologizes and forgives him and all of these different things. And in the meantime, she gives her helicopter away to this like no-name family, and it's like ultra emotional, right? And um, I'm like 13 and I'm losing it, like <laughs> losing it in the movie theater. You know, it was like, I'm just crying and I'm there with my girlfriends and we get done with the movie and we're still sobbing, okay? And we're sobbing like as we exit the movie theater and like snot and like, oh my, it was just so, I can't believe, you know? And then we get to the bathrooms and like legitimately I'm shaking, I'm crying so hard and I'm like, <laughs> you know? And, and I look at my girlfriend, Jen, and I'm like, Jen, I would, Jen, I would give my helicopter for you. <laughs> and she's like, I know, I'd give my helicopter for you. Right? And I'm not kidding. This older woman who was, like, in a stall, like, going, doing her business, she, she yells out because she's so annoyed with us. She goes, oh, my gosh. Pull it together. And... <laughs> I, like, we're just, like, at a loss, right? Because it was so courageous. I was so affected. It was so selfless. It was so beautiful. And there was a time in Christian tradition where the church, where Christians were so selfless, so courageous, so fearless. And they... They were this way because the pioneer of our faith, the author of our faith, the perfecter of our faith was this way. See, if you're a Christian in here, the founder of our faith is this man named Jesus. And we know about Jesus that Jesus was um, on his time here on earth. He was betrayed by his friends. We know that he was betrayed by his best friend. We know that he was unjustly arrested, that there was no just reason, there was no, um, there was no criminal record for this man, that he was pulled from life and pulled into custody for no reason at all. He was unjustly arrested. He was illegally tried by, by the courts. There was no, it was like a very corrupt legal system. And he was convicted and then he was scourged, he was, he was whipped, he was beaten, he was, he was absolutely marred to the point. The Bible says that we couldn't recognize him anymore. Even his best friends wouldn't really know his face at that point. And then he was crucified. Jesus was the most fearless man, the most selfless man to have ever lived. And then he said this to the Christians 
he said, okay, now follow me. Follow me. What you see me do, you do. The way you see me act, you act. And Jesus actually even said this before he was even crucified. He sends out his disciples on an effort to go and, um, for the very first time, share the gospel, share the good news. Um, and this is, again, before the crucifixion, before the resurrection. He sends out um, a, a bunch of his disciples. And he says this to them. He says, I'm sending you out like evangelists with microphones. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Be on guard. You will be handed over to local councils and be flogged. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings. And when they arrest you, do not worry about what you're going to say or how you're going to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say because the Spirit will be speaking through you. Brother will betray brother, father to his child. Children will rebel against their parents. You will be hated because of me, but the one who stands firm will be saved. And when, not if, not if, not if, not if, not if, when you are hated, you are persecuted in one place flee to another. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the body and the soul in hell. Here's what he's saying. You don't even need to fear death. Why? Because it's just your body. And because you have a hope that goes way farther than this minuscule, simple world. Do not fear men. Do not fear a country. Do not fear a life that can only destroy your body. And so if we were to ask the modern day church, well, what are you afraid of? Like right now, what are your biggest fears? You know, and like I was to ask somebody in this room and you'd be like, well, Hillary. You know, and like, and like, J like James, like magically transports, like right here, and you know, James who was who was martyred, and he and he looks you in the eye, and he's like, okay, brother, okay, brother, what do you what are you what are you most scared of right now? And you're like, Trump, <laughs> terrified. And he's like, but wait, but wait, but what do you? And then you're like, and you start to think about it, and you're like, I don't, I don't actually know, and I'm sorry. See, there's a version of Christianity that once existed. There's a version of Christianity that, that once was the church that was like this, that was fearless, that was, as Andy Stanley put it, tough as nails. And so here's another question that I have for you. What does your prayer life look like right now? Because the prayers of the early church looked very different. They were all-encompassing. They were ginormous. They were miracle-asking. They were forward moving with the gospel. They were larger than life. And so if you, for the last five years, were to have gotten every single prayer that you ever prayed answered, let's say the last five years, every single prayer that you've ever prayed, God answers them. What would your life look like now? And, and what would those prayers have been that were answered? Would they affect, you know, the world or would they maybe affect you and maybe the closest five people to you? Like maybe some cancers were healed. Maybe, um, maybe you got a job. Maybe you turned in that midterm paper and it was great, right? Because there was a time when the church prayed differently than we do now. There was a time when a man named Paul was arrested, again, unjustly, just like his founder. 
unjustly arrested. He was thrown into jail by um, a ruler during that time. That ruler kind of forgot about him, and, um, and then he passes away. And then another rule, ruler comes up named Festivus, which it just sucks. The Festivus for the rest of us. Like, that's a terrible name. And he, um, he, he remembers, and the Jews remember that Paul is in custody, and the Jews want him dead. And they say, pull him out of custody. And then the Jews say this, and they're like, move him to another jail. And their plan was to ambush Paul on the way. It didn't work, but that was the plan. The plan was to ambush him, kill him, because they weren't killing him fast enough in Rome. And so Festivus has to deal with him. He takes him to King Agrippa um, and, and to, to have this trial, to unjustly, um, you know, convict him of something so to make the Jews happy. And so they bring him before. His life is on the line. His flesh is on the line. His being is on the line. And um, he says, okay, now, Paul, defend yourself. And Paul, in this moment, is able to say anything. He's able to pray any prayer. And what he does is he actually preaches the gospel. And then he looks at King Agrippa and he's like, you want to get saved? This is a true story. Read it. It's incredible. It's incredible. And King Agrippa's like, well, Paul, do you really think I'm going to get saved that quickly? And Paul says, well, look, here's my prayer. And this is exactly what he says. He says, short time or long time, I pray that to God, this is my prayer. This is how I pray. I pray to God that not only you, but everybody in here may become as I am, in other words, saved, except for these chains, saying, I want you to be even better off than I am. There was a time when our church, when Christians would pray, and it was not, get me through today, Lord. God, help me with my migraine. It was I pray that you get saved. And that better than me, you don't even have these chains. See, if I were Paul, I would like Facebook, this is what my prayer would be like. I'd Facebook everybody and I'd be like, guys, I need your help. I'm in jail. Set up a prayer chain with everybody at Red Rocks and start praying that God would release me, that God would set me free, that God would, that he would, that he would preserve my life because I want to raise my kids and my family and I want to be there, right? And like, so pray and like, everybody's like, yeah, pray for Jesse, pray, hashtag save Jesse, right? And like, and and it's, it's like taken off, right? And we're all like, yeah, pray for Jesse, pray for Jesse. And then we like make wristbands, right? And it's like hashtag save Jesse and we like sell them. And then we set up a GoFundMe, right? And we raise money for my bond or like to bribe King Agrippa. Like this is how I would pray. Preserve my life. Save me. Help me. This, this is how I would pray. And yet there was a time in the Christian church when the prayers were selfless, when the actions were courageous. And what I believe about the church right now is that possibly, maybe, and this came from Andy Stanley, but I actually believe it's kind of prophetic, is that the church right now, and listen to me, um, I'm older than you guys, and you need to lead the next generation of church. You need to lead the next generation of church leaders. You need to lead my children. And so what I'm hoping is that we as a church would take a little turn and we would say it's time for us to be a little less afraid. It's time for us to act like Christians. It's time for us to be like our founder. It's time for us to be selfless. It's time for us to be tough as nails. And there are a couple of things, and these are just my thoughts, okay? This is not, um, not all-encompassing. This is not um, theology. These are just my thoughts on some things I think the church can do right now. Young adults 
can do today when you leave to act more like Christians and that possibly the hope of the world can have access to the world through you and through me. And the first thing is this, is get ready to get skin in the game. Get ready to get skin in the game. Get ready to get some skin in the game. So the world is shifting right now. There is tension. There is, there is hostility within our environment right now. It's everywhere. We can feel it. And the temptation and the action of the church, I would say by and large, if I were to, and Lord, forgive me if I'm being judgmental, but, the, but, the, but the, at large, the church right now, instead of stepping into the fray, is taking a step back. That instead of stepping into the tension and the worry and the anxiety, we are taking a step back and that your temptation in these next couple of years, your temptation as you live out your life over the next couple of years is not going to be to act in a way as a Christian that is unbecoming. Okay, so like for yourselves up, you're not going to act like a total idiot in the next couple of years. Our temptation is most likely going to be to not do anything. Because we are so terrified of offending anyone. We are horrified of hurting people's feelings, of stepping on toes. And here's the deal. Millennials um, have recently been ranked um, uh, more than any other generation of being moderate. Okay, you're not politically liberal. You're not politically conservative. You're moderate. And at first I was like, that's awesome because that means we can be peacemakers. That means we can be harmonious. That means we can be active peacemakers in our country right now that it's like ripping itself apart, right? And I, I thought to myself, that's incredible. And then I thought about it more and I was like, I don't think we're moderate. I think we're cowards. I think that quite possibly we call ourselves moderate because we don't want to say the wrong thing. We don't want to take a side because uh, we don't want to stand up for anything because, whoa, right? Someone's going to get pissed. Can't say it, right? Can't do it. And so we err and we do and we say nothing. And the reality is, is that that is actually a choice. By not making a choice, by not making a choice to step into the tensions, by not making, by making a choice to, um, you know, to not um, engage with the social climate, with the racial climate, with the terrorist climate, with the fear climate right now, what you actually are doing is making a choice to be apathetic. You are making a choice to be apathetic. And that passivity is the opposite of Jesus. That passivity is nothing like Jesus. It doesn't look like Jesus. It doesn't smell like Jesus. Um, Right now, you could be thinking, I want to call up maybe um, a couple of my black friends, or I want to call up a couple of my white friends, and I want to ask them how they're doing, because right now, there is some division within our country, and you're thinking, I'd like to do that, but here's the deal. I don't want to say the wrong thing on the phone. I don't want to, like, hurt their feelings, and um, I don't want to do that. And so, and Jesus is like, seriously? So you're not going to do anything. Nope, nope. I'm wearing a cross belt. Right, like, <laughs> right now, I'm not going to engage right now with um, the abortion debate. I'm not even going to take a step into it. I'm not even going to put a toe there because that would, that would mean I'd have to follow through on my theology. And I'd have to maybe talk to a young girl who's pregnant and scared and alone and see if she's doing okay. 
I'd have to do something. And so I'm just going to take a step back. I'm not going to um, get involved. I'm not going to vote because I hate both of them. And Jesus is literally sitting there, and he's like, when you choose passivity, you are choosing something that I never intended. You have a better odd at trying for something, at trying to serve Jesus, at trying to enter um, the world with the hope that you have within you, at trying to be a Christian at the right time, in the right place, and offending someone. You have better odds at doing that than completely checking out, because checking out is always the wrong choice, every single time. And here's what we do as Christians, and I know this because I've worked at a church for eight years. We as Christians are incredible at critiquing and at talking. And we always say this. We always say those who, you know, those who can't do, they coach, or those who can't play, they coach. Okay, so those who can't create, they critique. Those who can't, are not able to engage with culture, they just talk about it. And so um, this is what we do. And so I'll, I'll be at church and, you know, we'll be hanging out with my staff. And over the years, like, we've gotten emails and it'll be like, well, why do you use hot tubs for baptism? And do you believe in baptism of the Holy Spirit? And why do you allow people to raise their hands? And actually, I think that there should be more expressive worship. And, you know, why don't you preach in a way that's expository? Why do you, can you do more topical preaching? That would be awesome. Like, like back and forth, back and forth, like all these different things. And if people come and they have these opinions, what I normally tell my staff is, um, is to ask this question. And what I will ask um, the people that are writing me or the people that are talking to me is like, oh, awesome. And I'll say, so do you do anything here? And they're like, what? And I'm like, well, do you volunteer? Or like, do you do anything here? And 90% of the time, the people that talk this way, they say no. Um, and I say, well, okay. And I'm not going to listen to you. And here's why. And I mean this in a kind way. I'm not going to listen to you because you don't have skin in the game. You care more about your opinion than you care about the outcome of this organization. And I want to listen to people that care more about the outcome of our organization than they do about their opinion. Those are the people that have earned an ear with me. And you know the people that have earned an ear with me? They're the people like Preston Kazira. Okay, so Preston um, has served here. He takes out trash. He, like, mops up nasty stuff. He, like, goes in the bathroom. He replaces towels. Like, and he does all this, like, at, like, like, speed. Like, he goes so fast. He's a superhero. And he straightens out chairs, and he, like, directs people, and he's got this humble leadership, and he's an intern now. And Preston could literally come to me tomorrow and he'd be like, Jesse, I've got this idea. And I'd be like, okay, bro, let's go. And he's like, um, I think we need to return to old school projectors with these V-pens. You know what I'm talking about? It's going to be huge. <laughs> and I'd be like, but I'm listening to you because, because you're Preston. And he could come to me and he could be like, Jess, I've been praying. We need to do a Jericho walk around Denver, not eat for seven days. Like I'm thinking the walls are going to fall. And I'd be like, okay, but you're Preston. And here's the reason that I trust your prayers. He could say, Jesse, I want you to quit and I want to take your job. And I'd be like, I'm going to think about it. <laughs> think about it because you're Preston. And here's the reason why I would trust every single thing that Preston says is because I know that he's got skin in the game, that he cares about the outcome of this organization more than he cares about his opinion. And right now, Jesus is looking at us and he's like, do you care? about the outcome of this world? Or do you only care about your opinion? Do you care about where people are going? Do you care about your black friends? Do you care about your white friends? Do you care about the refugees? Do you care? Or do you just want to talk? 
And we're so afraid of being the Christians that are going to be written up by Relevant Magazine for being stupid that we do nothing. Better to try and be stupid than be found doing nothing. Get some skin in the game. Get some skin in the game. It is going to cost you. You know it's a poker term, skin in the game? And it means put your money where your mouth is. And I think right now Jesus is just saying, just try. Just take one little step. Text someone tonight. Just try. Just try. The second thing I think we as Christians can do is get ready to lay it down. Get ready to lay it down. So there is one thing that uh, the early church, I think, could be categorized for, and it would be that they didn't really care about their physical bodies. They didn't really care about their lives. They didn't care about preserving their lives. They weren't stupid, but they just thought more of laying themselves down for the sake of the gospel than they did of themselves. And this was true of Jesus, okay? And so the problem with 2016 America, um, and it's beautiful, I thank God for our, our, our country. And I thank God for the fact that we have um, soldiers that have secured our freedom in case you're just, you don't think about it. And so we have these rights. We have rights to freedom of the press. We have rights to guns. We have rights to civil liberties. You, you, know, you have all of these different rights. And we live in a zeitgeist and in a country and in a world right now that is only talking about what is their right. I'll give you an example. I'm a Christian, and so I have a right to religious liberty and expression in any place that I want. And don't take my prayer out of school. That's my rights. And don't take the Ten Commandments out of that thing. That's my right. Right? Um, I am transgender. And so I have a right to any bathroom that I want. I get to choose. It's any bathroom that I choose. I have a right to that. I am a woman. I have a right to say and do with my body whatever I want, even if that means the end of another life. I have a right. I am um, a civil, uh, a civilian of America. I have civil rights. I have a right to free college, lower taxes, guns, uh, affordable medical expenses, walls to keep immigrants out, uh, to hoard my resources, to feel safe, to complain, to feel unoffended, to feel comfortable. We live in a world right now <laughs> that all anyone is talking about is what's mine. And so what would it look like if we as the church did what Jesus did? Because the world is saying, how do I get more for me? If you haven't heard it, how do I get more for me? How do I get more for me? And Jesus legitimately, in every interaction that he said, how do I give of me so you have more for you? How do I give of me so you have more for you? How do I give of me so you have more for you? Jesus asked the question every day, all day, and this is a question you can ask yourself. Them or me? Them or me? Them or me? And his answer was pretty much always the same. Jesus, we need you to go across. We need you to go um, far to this other place, walk miles. You're going to be uncomfortable. You're not going to have lunch. You're not going to be able to um, snap about it because there isn't internet. And so you can't document the fact that you're doing something awesome. And so you're going to go all the way across, and you're going to meet this young girl, um, and then you're going to heal her. And uh, so is it going to be you, Jesus, or is it going to be her? And he says, it's going to be her. 
Jesus, um, there's a man, okay, he's chained up, he's got a legion of demons, okay, they've strapped him to the ground in order to just maintain order with wherever this man is, he doesn't really eat much, he's kind of feral, we need you to go across the sea and deal with these demons, which you have to imagine is a battle, and um, I know you're going to be uncomfortable, it's going to be a little scary, it's going to be a little bit, you know, like um, Friday the 13th, but we need you to go, and Jesus, is it going to be you or him? And he says him. Jesus, we're going to need you to go all the way um, in front of a council and to be accused and to be stripped naked and to be beaten and to be flogged and to be um, taken before millions of people and spat on and put up on a cross and crucified. Is it going to be you, Jesus, or is it going to be them? And he says it's going to be them. So what would it look like, church, if every day you ask the question, is it going to be them or is it going to be me? Is it going to be them or is it going to be me? Right now, um, there's, some, there's some racial tension, and so am I going to try to obtain my right to be right, my right to be heard, my right to feel like someone is agreeing with my position, and am I going to cling to that right? Or am I going to say, them? Am I going to, um, you know, cling to my right for comfort? Or am I going to say, I'm going to have a communication and some talk with my friend who considers themselves transgender. I'm going to have a discussion with my friend who considers himself gay or herself lesbian. We're going to have a discussion. And in that talk, I'm going to lay myself down so that you have more for you. See, no one wants to hear your theology. They want to see it. They want to see it from the church every day. You go first. In King Supers, you go first. I swear to you, I went to Provo a few years ago in Utah, and you know, it's like Mormonville, and everybody was so nice, and it was, it threw me off. Like, I'd be standing in line, and they'd be like, oh no, you do the half and half first, and I'm like, what? Okay, like, and they're like, it, it was annoying because traffic would stop and they'd be like, you're a left-hand turn at a really annoying spot, but go ahead, right? And, and I'd be like, oh my gosh, you know, like, what would it look like if what was said about the church was that they are weird, but they are so much more about us than they are about themselves? And the last thing is get ready to give an answer for the hope. Get ready to give an answer for the hope. 1 Peter 3.15 says this. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks to give, um, everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Okay, so this is written by the Apostle Peter. Uh, this letter, he, he addresses it in the beginning, and he says, to all of the churches, so to all of the Christians in Cappadocia, to all of the Christians in Asia, to all of the Christians in Galatia, and he writes them this letter, and then this is the summary of his letter. This is the end of what he's going to say to them, and he, um, and he says this. It's not going to be up on the board, but just listen. He says, finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, and be humble. What he's saying is get some skin in the game. If you're going to talk like a Christian, do it. And then he says this, don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, listen to this, repay evil with a blog. <laughs> with a blessing. What? 
Because this is what you were called to so that you might inherit a blessing. He's saying, in other words, give of you so that they have more for them. And then he says this, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have because we are the only ones, and I will say this, if people think I'm arrogant, it's fine. We are the only ones with hope. We are the only ones with the hope of the world. And the early church was contagious and courageous because they had an answer for their hope. And listen to me, they had hope not because of a theology. They had hope because of an event. See, what we forget is that Peter was there. Peter saw, even if it was from a distance as he, you know, hid in a corner. Peter saw Jesus be taken before a council. He saw Jesus be flogged. He saw Jesus be, um, you know, beaten within an inch of his life and then carry his cross up to Calvary. He saw him bleed out and suffocate to death. He saw all of this happen. And listen to me. Uh, if I could get this, if I could get this, if we could get this. And then he saw an event he saw Jesus rise again. And so there is a hope that we have, not in a theology. There is a hope that we have, because listen to me, nothing is going to make you courageous unless you believe this happened. Nothing that I say is going to make any difference unless you believe this happened. You are not going to be courageous. You are not going to be safe, selfless unless you know that you know that you know that Jesus died. He was whipped. He was put up on a cross and he was buried. But here's the reality was that there was a bunch of people that are documented, hundreds of people that are documented as seeing him walking around after that. And here's, here's what this means for you. And here's what this means for me. It means that literally in that moment for Peter, death lost its sting. Literally in that moment when Jesus said, you will be taken before council and, you know, in Matthew 10 and you're going to be taken, um, you're going to be arrested and when people persecute you and when they hate you and they're like, sweet, sign us up because here's why. Because this is just my body. I'm tough as nails. The resurrection, folks, it was real for them. They were no longer afraid of death because death isn't real for them. They were no longer afraid that, like, this is, this is all there is because this isn't all there is. Peter and Paul were martyred in Rome in 66 AD by Nero. Paul was beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down because he felt himself unworthy to be crucified the way that Jesus was. Andrew uh, was taken, he took the gospel to what is now the Soviet Union or to Russia. He preached in Asia Minor and Turkey, and then he is also said to have been crucified. Doubting Thomas, he was active in Syria, um, and he uh, actually there's a whole sect of Christians that claim that he was the founder of their faith, um, and he is claimed to have died by being pierced by many spears of soldiers. Philip was put to death after he uh, he he met a Roman a Roman dude's wife, a proconsul's wife, and she became a Christian, and in retaliation, they cruelly put him to death. Uh, Matthew, the tax collector, um, he was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. Bartholomew, um, various accounts says that he was martyred. James, that he was clubbed to death and stoned. Simon, when he refused to give worship to the sun god, um, was killed. Matthias received death by burning. 
And John was the only one who survived, but he was banished to the land of Patmos. And all of these men <laughs> looked face in the eye, and they were not afraid. And so what are you afraid of? There was a time when the church was tough as nails. And if we as Christians check out during this time, during this season, who's left to give the hope? And so what is the answer for the hope? Because Rome burned. That wasn't the hope of the day. But Jesus and his faith spread like an airborne disease. What is your hope today? Let me give you my answer for what I think hope is. My hope is not in our government that protects me one day and betrays my values the next. My hope is not in our government. My hope is not in myself because I'm a loser. My hope is not in a theology. My hope is in the fact that Jesus died, that he was resurrected from dead, the dead, that he overcame it all, that he rose again, that he is untouchable, and because of that, he will never die. And because of that, there is a spirit that is in me that will never fade, that my hope rules and reigns in heaven now, that my hope is in the fact that he who rose from the grave lives in me and is greater than this world. He who is in you is greater. And so what would it look like if the church became a little more fearless and became a little more like what we saw in the beginning of the church? Would you guys stand? God, we just pray tonight. We pray that you would be with us. We pray that you would strengthen. I believe that there are people in here that are future presidents, that are future leaders. My hope and my prayer is not that they are good presidents, that they are good leaders. My hope and that my prayer is that they are fearless about who Christ is in them. We pray all this in Jesus' name.